most fitting song to prepare us for the word of the Lord this morning. I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 to verse 13, a short passage there where we find the incident where Jesus calls Matthew to be one of his disciples. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9, Jesus had healed the paralytic and that it elicited a response. So likewise, even the calling of Matthew and how Jesus conducted himself in the world, a world of broken people, these words. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Those words, God's word to us, and may the Lord bless those words to us. For me, not for you. That's how a lot of people think of Jesus in the gospel. For me, not for you until you become like me. That's a perversion of the gospel. It goes against who Jesus is, but it's exactly what the Pharisees attitude about God and religion was. For us, not for you, until you become us. For me, not for you, until you're like me. And that's not just religious people who can be that way. Secular people can be that way. You're in, I'm in, you're out, until you're like me, then you can be in. You're counted out. You're excluded. Tell you're like me. And then you can be included. In other words, until you're right and righteous like me, you're out. Until you're healthy like me, don't want you. Jesus is very clear here. He doesn't come because people are in the right if you're in the right, you don't, you're in the right. You're righteous. You don't need him. He comes, you're in the wrong. You're unrighteous. You're unhealthy. You're sick. I came for them. But the Pharisee 
the Pharisees saw it the other way around. Jesus calls sinners to himself. And that's really good news because if you count yourself one, really good news. He's calling you. He's not saying, he's not excluding you. He's not saying, I'm against you and just don't bother. I'm not interested in one. I seek you. While you're needy and undesirable, I desire you. That's why it's good news. And it's news we all need. And it's news we have to keep reminding ourselves of because what happens to church people, and it's not on purpose, but it happens to us, is we start out, hooray for God's love, for his love for me, hooray for his grace, yes, Lord, praise the Lord, and then now live for the Lord, and living for the Lord, well, that's not living for the Lord, that's not, and, and before you know it, it's now we are, they aren't. Yes, for me, not for you, till you're like me. And that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very devoted religious teachers, scholars. The scribes were people who would write the scriptures by hand. They didn't have printing press in those days or photocopy machines. You couldn't scan it. So you had to meticulously write the scriptures out. And then, you know, it's so easy to make little scribal errors, so you, you had to go back and meticulously, even count the words and try to get everything exactly right. Well, what happens when you're doing that? You kind of learn the Bible. What have you been doing all day? Writing out Bible. I've been thinking about it, too. And for a while, after a while, you know the Bible. And then a lot of people don't know the Bible, but you do, and you can size up every error and flaw, and, and before you, it's yes for me, not for you, until you're like me. But Jesus comes and calls sinners to himself. Now, I gave you that little nifty outline, <laughs> the call. To follow him, the people don't like it, and that he defends it. That's just the outline, but the content is something about us all. Notice he passed by and happens upon Matthew at the tax booth. Follow me. He rose, followed. And then we later learn he's at table, he's at some sort of gathering where there's tax collectors, sinners, he's reclining, his disciples are all there. It all starts with a call to follow him. And it comes to one who's not like the Pharisees or like us, he's a tax collector. Now, that doesn't mean he's like the modern day IRS agent. A tax collector worked for the Roman government, and the Roman government were, well, they were an empire who had imposed themselves upon God's covenant people, 
They were tyrants in that sense. The Romans had gained control. And how do you conquer and stay conquering of a conquered population? Well, you got to keep your army. And so a tax collector would be, and who knows the people, like in this case, the Jewish people, like a fellow Jew. So Matthew would have been a Jew, a covenant child of the religious people of God, yet working for the Romans who are oppressing these people. So he's a traitor. And tax collectors were... So already he's on the wrong side. And he would have been always working with Gentiles and mingling with them. So he wasn't a guy who was ceremonially clean to go to temple and make sacrifice. And not that he had much interest in that anyway. So he was like an unbeliever on the outside. He's not on the inside, he's on the outside. And he would have been, and tax collectors were known for this, is you collect for the Romans, you get a fee, but if you want to skim some and you know, help yourself, you tax a little more, you skim off the top, and before you know it, you have a fat wallet and a nice house. People hated tax collectors. They're on the wrong side, they're on the outside, and they exploit us. We're poor, why they get fat and rich. And Jesus calls him to follow? Him? Yeah, him. That one. So it's not like we don't like the RRS. No, it's quite a bit worse. Now, we know when it says, come follow me, we're not told exactly what that amounted to, because some people would follow Jesus for a while. Come follow. And they did for a while. You read about that in John 6. Crowds were following Jesus, thronging, and then he gave that sermon, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me, and And what, huh? And they didn't like this, and they stopped following. They returned home, and he was left with what he started with, his 12 disciples. So if you have this vision of Jesus, it was all just one big triumphant throng of happiness and joy and smiles and, man, cool, 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 wow, it was it. No, there was also those that said, enough of this guy, no. Not him. Not them. So what does it mean that Matthew up and followed? Well, here's something that seems clear enough. How do you know what it is to follow Jesus until you start following? You know people like this. Hey, come to church with me. No, thanks. Of course, by not coming to church, they don't hear the message about Jesus. They don't learn about Jesus. Or come to a Bible study at my, we can just sit at the kitchen table or in my den and we'll just read the Bible and talk about it. No. They can't begin to follow Jesus if they don't begin to at least follow that far to learn about Jesus, to know about him, to know who God is and what he's done for us. 
So when Jesus says to Matthew, come, follow, Matthew embarks upon a journey in which he can learn and see and behold and grow from a small faith to a big faith, from doubt to certainty. And that's true of all of us. That's why, you know, if a preacher says, come to church, it's not because you salve his ego, although preachers prefer to have people to talk to than, than not. But this is how you'll learn about Jesus. You'll be instructed. You'll, you'll read the Bible together. It'll be explained. You'll be able to understand. You'll fellowship with other people. You can ask questions. You discover there's a family of God who are, have the same needs, the same burdens. We, we're the same people, the same Savior, the same Heavenly Father, the same help, the same hope, the same eternity. You, you, you embark on the path. In our Reformed tradition, we talk about that as means of grace, which means channels, the, the path along which we're normally blessed. So we're blessed by the preaching of the gospel. We're blessed when we come and witness a baptism or partake of the Lord's Supper. We're blessed when we join together in prayer and fellowship and communion of saints together. We need that stuff. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? By following. And then you learn more and you grow. So we discover that Matthew, Luke's gospel tells us this, he just left everything and started following. And you have a, you have a task, you have a duty, you need to be at Booth when people come, I'm here to pay my taxes. No, there's another kingdom, another empire, one that's eternal. I need to learn about this king and this ruler and this way and this truth and this life. He up and follows Jesus. And that's what we that's why we invite people to church or to a Bible study. We want them to learn more. We want them in following this far, they learn to follow further, to trust more, to walk with the Lord step by step. And we're following as a community. We, we see fellow believers go through things we haven't, have faith where ours wobbles, have hope when we think we would be jaded or heart of heart, or come alongside us and pray for us and help us. It's following Jesus as being part of a community of faith that follows Jesus. And so... Jesus comes even to this traitor to his nation, fat and rich off the backs of his fellow, outside the church, a non-synagogue-going, non-temple-going Jewish unbeliever, basically. Come, follow me. Yes, for me, Yes, for you, even though you're not like me. Now, the Pharisees didn't like this, so it gets a rebuke. When the Pharisees saw this, 
they didn't like it. What did they see? Well, not only that he'd called Jesus, but what they saw is that Jesus had reclined at table in the house, and there's some sort of get-together going on. There's many tax collectors, many, and sinners. (laughs) The sort of people tax collectors hang out with. Ladies on their arms. Yeah. You know, riffraff sort of people who know how to get deals done for a price. See, life doesn't change. Tax collectors and sinners. See, the Pharisees had had categorized people into insiders, outsiders, belongers excluded. You're, You're among the excluded. You have been canceled. You don't line up, you're shunned. You don't, you don't walk, walk the straight path, done. Sinner. You realize how many people don't come to church because they have concluded that's exactly what I am, a sinner. I don't belong there. I'm dirty. I don't, I, I know enough of what those religious people believe, and boy, I don't live like what they believe. And so, yeah, I'm excluded. I've been long canceled, and I won't bother. And how tragic if the church, through its own ethos and sort of the subculture it creates, communicates to the world, not for you until you're like us. Big stuff there. What was happening? Well, Jesus went to parties. It doesn't mean he partied and got drunk, but he got accused of that. Uh, He's a wine-bibber. That's the old King James, remember that one? Wine-bibber, a drunkard. He's a glutton. Yeah, he likes to go to parties where there's free food. You can overeat and have fun. Man, it's a block party. Jesus is there. It's a big barbecue. Jesus is there. It's a barn burner, a bonfire. Man, there's, the booze is flowing and there's food coming. Jesus, and he says, yeah, Jesus went to parties and he mingled with tax collectors and sinners, the non-church goers, the non-synagogue goers. Yep, that's what he did. That's why he gets this rebuke. Reclining at table with tax collectors and sinners. What a a mix of people. Jesus, his disciples, and the riffraff. And, you know, when you you think of modern-day riffraff, you know, you, you might think of, uh, well, politicians. After all, you know, tax collectors are well off, right? So you might think of politicians on the take. So it's not all just people um, who, who know poverty and things, but also people that have means and resources, but easily exploit people in poverty, and use them. 
So drunkards and thieves and prostitutes and call girls, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, that's, that was the crowd. Pretty messy. Well, these are the very people about whom the Jesus said, for me, not for you, until you're like me. But Jesus didn't line it up like that. For you, grace first. Then we'll get about healing your life. But grace first, mercy first. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while you're a repenting sinner, he died for you. While you were a fixed-up sinner, he died for you. While you were a person who had reformed your ways, he died for you. While you were a sinner under the wrath of God, he bore the wrath of God for you. Because it's the sick that need the physician. I don't know about you, but I don't go to the doctor. Well, I do that that biannual checkup thing because I'm old. But when I was young, okay, when I was young, what do you need a doctor for? The only time you ever go to the doctor is when you're sick. And even when you're sick, you don't go to the doctor until you're desperately sick. Until you're painfully, you've, you've suffered weeks on end sick. And then you succumb to, okay, I'm really sick. I'm not going to get well. I need, I need help. Right. You don't go to the doctor like, well, I'm bored. I think I'll make an appointment and have something to do next week. No. And you wouldn't want the doctor calling you on the phone. How are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling great. Well, why don't you come in for an appointment? But I feel fine. Nah, come on. He just wants money. Or she just wants money. No. It's important for us to see that Jesus still dines with sinners. We see that every time we come to the Lord's table. I was told you'll probably be celebrating Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, in July. And here's the thing about the Lord's Supper. This is what it's not. Oh, it's some empty ritual we go through because Jesus said we should do it, and so let's go through these, okay, eat something, drink something, okay, all right. That's not what it is. This is what it is. You want to know how true it is that Jesus died for your sins and that you're of him and belong to him and are washed of him and partake of him and have new life and salvation and hope. You want to know how real that is, how true it is? Because that's all invisible kind of stuff. You want to know how real it is? It's as real as taking bread in your hand and putting it in your mouth and this cup and putting it to your mouth and it becomes part of you. Do you doubt that? Is this not true? Yeah, it's really, it's true. It's genuine. That's how true it is, Jesus died for all your sins, and you're forgiven. It's the gospel made tangible to us. 
You can literally hold it and eat it, and it's so. That's what it is. Do you love me, Lord? And then you commune, yeah. Am I saved? Not because I eat it, but because I believe and I eat it. Yeah, be sure. It's part of following Jesus. He's called me the sinner. He calls me to himself. He also calls me to hear the preaching. He calls me to a communion table. He calls me to baptism. He calls me to these things. So I am following him. I become his disciple. I trust him. I entrust myself to him. I'm loved by him. I love him back. I'm following him. So Jesus communes with sinners, and you don't need to be scandalized by that because he's here with us this morning. We're two or more gathered in his name, and he's still communing with us. You know how far down Jesus gets into the dirt. He's here right now with all of us. He knows my heart, and he's here. He knows my imagination, and he's here. He knows my past, and he's here. He loves us. He dies for us. He invites us. He calls us. And he calls people you know who don't feel worthy to come, who don't think sinners like themselves can be loved, or who are convinced that what the church is about is for me, not for you, until you're like me. I was in a fixture store just the other day, that, that horrible rainy Friday before the beautiful triumphant Saturday. But there, as is fairly popular nowadays, a young lady came in with leggings. She was young and beautiful and was flaunting herself. But there were two women, actually sales ladies in this place of business. And the one whispers to the other, but I overheard it all, hence. (laughs) Scandalized by the young lady with her shapely body in the leggings. Scandalized. And I was a little put off, I must say, that in a place of business, they chose at that moment to express their feelings about this young woman loudly enough so that I heard it. And it reminded me as I was preparing this morning, for us, not for you, until you're like us. But Jesus isn't scandalized. He knows what sinners we are. For you, and I will bear your sins in your stead, that you can grow and become a young woman who makes better decisions that way. But excluded? No. Included? 
because we're all sinners. Now, Jesus defends his actions when he heard it. He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, as we've talked about. But then this, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now those words are a quote from the Old Testament. They're a quote from the prophet Hosea in chapter 6, verse 6. Go learn something. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, wait a minute. Aren't you the God who ordained all the sacrificial system, the whole Levitical priesthood, gave us the book of Leviticus with all the prescriptions, and you read about that also in parts of Exodus and so on, all these, you're to, you're to sacrifice this way and this kind of animal for this kind of uh, sacrificial thing, and you're the one who prescribed all that. Yes, God did, and God also says through Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What's the point? Well, it's kind of like saying this. God wants us to read the Bible. Sure, because that's where we... We're literate. We can read the Bible. We learn about God, so you you ought to read the Bible. Sure. Good thing to do. Come to church. Fellowship with others. Hear the preaching. Yes, God says that. Do not neglect assembling together. That's right in the Bible. So, yeah, come to church. But here's the thing. You can come to church. You can get baptized. You can go to the Lord's Supper all the right times. You can do follow all the rules, meet every church activity while in your heart for us, not for you until you're like us. Heart of heart. Jump through hoops. When you're good enough. When you've come out of your brokenness and depravity this far, well, then okay, but you really need to get this far, and that's even better. And this far, and then all right. And what he wants is worship with a soft heart, a gentle heart, an open heart, a welcoming heart, a seeking a lost heart. We live in a culture that wants, you know, the popular word today is cancel each other. You cancel me, I cancel you right back. Yeah, that's the easy thing. It's a hateful thing to do. It's easy to hate. It comes naturally for sinners to block each other out, to shove each other aside, or to put bullets into their enemy. Our culture is rife with revenge and hatred and cancellation. But Jesus, the Christian church, has this good news of salvation in which it's reaching to the brokenness, the the excluded to call them included, the not my people to make them my people. The not like us, but we none of us are like one another. We all need the same Jesus, the same cross, the same grace, the same help, the same forgiveness. We all need him to call us and people we love 
and some of whom feel quite unworthy ever to be here, and some of whom simply don't want to be because they're quite convinced Christians think I have to be just like them before I'm good enough. So important that we hear what Jesus is saying. His churches desire mercy. Don't you need mercy? When I look at my life carefully, what I see is duplicity. I feel like I'm always, like Joshua says, you know, no more limping between two paths. Choose you this day as for me and my house. We'll choose the Lord, yes. And then I limp between two paths. I'm still a sinner. I don't need grace less than I did when I was 19 years old. I, I, I'm not... I, I know so much more than I was 19 years old that that just makes my sins more scandalous that I sin with knowledge rather than ignorance. With life experience rather than immature misinformation. So you can look at your life whether you nag and judge people or are covetous or lustful or lazy or misuse your resources or neglect parenting that needs to be done or impatient or unforgiving, and we just, the list goes on, right? And he's calling us to himself still. And people you know and love. And he does that because in his mercy, he was the sacrifice. In his mercy, he was the sacrifice. And he still comes, not because we're fixed up and righteous, but because we're sinners. He came for us. He still dines with sinners. He's here. Yes, the church is a place of sinners. Jesus joins us. Praise his name. Amen. Gracious God, may we see how you're the Lord who all sinners to yourself to learn of you, the sick to be healed of you, the needy to be provided, the lost to be found, the broken to be mended. Lord, may we not have the attitude, yes, for me, not for you, until you're like me. Lord, you never did that to us. May we remember who you are, as you commune and dine with us day by day and week by week in this place of fellowship. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.